You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. We are going to be continuing in our series on Proverbs. Um, First of all, as has been said, happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. I'm pretty sure that my father is scuba diving on the North Shore right now. Um, But when he watches this later, happy Father's Day, Dad. Um, So we are continuing on in our series on the book of Proverbs, and I love the tagline for this series, which describes the book of Proverbs as a guide to living the good life. And uh, that's such a a great way to think, not only about Proverbs, but Scripture itself, that this isn't just a book of rules or commands, but it's actually an invitation to us to what is true life, and it's an invitation uh, to goodness and human flourishing. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 10, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And so uh, if you would just join me in a word of prayer before we begin. Lord, we we thank you so much uh, that you are the source of wisdom. Uh, When we don't know what to do, when we don't know how to live, uh, when we don't know what to say, God, you you offer us wisdom in the pages of Scripture. I pray for myself and for each one of us here that we would have open hearts and open minds to what you are speaking to us today through your words, Um, that we would really take hold of the life that you offer to us. Amen. So there are a a few different ways that you can approach the book of Proverbs. Of course, you can go chapter by chapter and verse by verse. But this summer, we are taking a topical approach to Proverbs. Proverbs is a book that covers a wide variety of subjects from relationships to communication uh, to finances, many, many subjects. Um, And the topic that we're going to be looking at this morning is that of humility and pride in the book of Proverbs. This is a theme that is found throughout the book from start to finish. And so what we're going to do is, uh, first of all, I'm just going to show you some examples of what these Proverbs sound like. Uh, This is not an exhaustive list. I'm just going to show you five of these Proverbs. Proverbs 15.33 says, Fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. Humility precedes honor. Proverbs 18.12 says, Haughtiness goes before destruction. This is where we get the phrase, pride goes before the fall. It's from this verse. Humility precedes honor. 29.23, Pride brings a person low but the lowly in spirit gain honor. 22.4, true humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and life. And then lastly, Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And I want to focus for a moment on that last proverb with you, right now, 11-2, especially that last phrase, with humility comes wisdom. Uh, 
in scripture, humility and wisdom go together with one another. They're not just connected, but they're actually inseparable. You cannot have one without the other. So if you want to have wisdom, which really is what this summer is all about in Proverbs, you must have humility uh, first. And so I think it's really appropriate, uh, Zach uh, kind of constructed the order of these sermon series, and I think it's so appropriate that he put the topic of humility first in our our different topics that we're going to be covering this summer, Uh, because in a way, humility is the prerequisite of what's about to follow. You know, if you want to be someone that receives wisdom and instruction, uh, humility is going to be the key that opens that door uh, for you. Psalms 25.9 says that God leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. That's the type of person that God is going to instruct and God is going to lead. So according to Proverbs, if you want the good life, if you want to be wise, if you want to avoid destruction, uh, we will be people who seek humility and reject pride. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, What is true humility and how do we foster it in our lives? What is true humility and how do we foster it in our lives? How do we grow in it? And I'd actually like to start this morning first by discussing what humility is not. And the reason for this, and maybe I'm alone in it, but I think there's a lot of misunderstandings and confusion around what exactly humility is and isn't. Um, And so uh, we're going to go through a few of these. And again, maybe this isn't your misunderstanding. Maybe it's just mine. But I think they're helpful to clarify. Uh, First of all, humility is not hiding or downplaying your talents, skills, or abilities. Uh, Sometimes we get the impression that if someone is humble, they're never going to let anyone know about their strengths. They're never going to put themselves forward to lead or volunteer for something. They're going to kind of always stay behind the scenes and sort of downplay anything that they've been gifted with. Almost by being good at something in and of itself is a form of arrogance. Um, But that's actually uh, not true humility at all. Uh, Gavin Ortland wrote an article on humility, and in it he says, if you can paint like Van Gogh, humility does not require you to keep your work under a veil in the basement closet. If you can pitch a 95-mile-per-hour fastball, humility will not encourage you to sit on the bench. Uh, Building off of that, the second thing uh, humility is not, is is not having low self-esteem or a lack of confidence. Um, Sometimes, unfortunately, when we imagine in our minds someone who's really, really humble, we sort of associate it with a sense of uh, insecurity or shame or uh, inferiority. Um, We kind of think of someone who's humble as someone that will never receive a compliment. Right? As if just by acknowledging that maybe they've done something worthy of honor is arrogant or proud. Number three, humility is not a personality trait. This is another thing I think we often think about. You know, when we imagine someone who's humble, we imagine someone who's shy and quiet and reserved. Um, And of course, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Um, But the truth is that uh, you can be quiet and proud. Not as many people might know it, uh, but that could be the reality. Um, And in the same way, you can be extroverted, and you can be confident, and you can also be humble. And so we want to be careful that we don't associate humility with uh, a personality trait that maybe we do not have. Um, 
And then lastly, this one is important, uh, humility is not a show. Um, and this should be self-explanatory, uh, but we have a term for this, right? Um, have you guys heard of the term false humility before? Yeah, false humility. False humility is uh, this idea that it's basically pride disguised as humility. Um, it's where someone goes to extra lengths to appear to be humble or to appear to be low in order to receive uh, praise. Um, you might have also heard the phrase uh, fishing for compliments. This kind of goes along with this false humility, right? Where you talk negatively about yourself in hopes that someone will acknowledge you and give you compliments in response, right? This would be a show, right? This isn't true humility. Uh, Jesus sort of calls the Pharisees out for this in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and he calls them out for when they fast, what do they do? They sort of dishevel their hair and they look miserable and they put dirt on their face so that when they go outside, people will notice them and maybe think, oh, you're fasting and, and give them honor and give them glory for what they're doing. This is kind of that false humility where uh, you want to be seen as humble and so you're going to put on a show. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, describes false humility in his book, Mere Christianity. And I, I told David I love this quote because uh, it just sounds so British, everything about it. Um, <laughs> he says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person. And I had to look up that word because I didn't know what smarmy was, but it's a great word. Um, it means insincere. Who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. That's the false humility. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. And if you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. So if these things are not humility, what is humility? What is uh, the Bible talking about when it uses the word humble? Um, biblical humility in its essence is, is this, and I love this definition. It's being known for who you really are. Being known for who you really are. Uh, to put it another way, it is a right view, an accurate view, a true view of yourself in relationship to others and especially in relationship to God. Uh, humility is a radical honesty about who you are and who you are not. Uh, the skills and the talents you do have and the skills and the talents you don't have. The credit you do deserve and the credit you don't deserve. Um, and uh, it's it's being, uh, it's telling the truth, essentially. As I was studying humility, I was like, wow, humility is really just telling the truth. This is who I am. This is the reality. Um, this is who I am, and this is who I am not. Uh, not trying to make yourself look better, uh, not pretending to know more than you do or be more successful than you are, uh, but also not trying to make yourself seem worse or hiding the gifts that you do have. Uh, the Apostle Paul describes humility uh, this way in Romans. Chapter 12, verse 3. Um, gotta love Paul for being a little bit convicting. Romans 12, 3, he says, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Thanks, Paul. 
Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. I love that. Just be honest in your own evaluation of yourself. Now, Paul doesn't use the word humility or pride here, but that's what he is describing. Uh, So for Paul, uh, pride is thinking of yourself more highly, more significantly, more importantly than you actually are. Um, It's downplaying your weaknesses, exaggerating your strengths. Um, And humility uh, is simply a radical honesty about who you actually are. Now, humility has as far as I can tell, never been in fashion. It's never been in style. I don't know what any culture or time in the world, uh, but humility has always been pretty counter-cultural. So if you lived in the ancient world around the time period of Solomon when the book of Proverbs was written, humility would have been very counter-cultural. That time period was very invested in your name, your reputation, your legacy, your standing in the community, having honor and defending your honor, defending your name, right? Uh, so humility would have been absolutely countercultural in the ancient world. Uh, it's, it's the same today. Uh, we live in a culture that is, is truly uh, self-obsessed and self-absorbed. Uh, we really do praise people who are assertive and confident and appear to have it all together, who appear competent in everything that they do, self-assured. We want to look like people who have all the answers rather than have any questions, uh, even if that's not the reality. I read a recent study that said my generation, so the millennial generation, there was a study done that said over 60% of millennials uh, said their test for making a big moral decision Uh, was how do I feel about that? Um, When facing a tough decision, instead of looking outward for wisdom, the majority look inward and ask themselves, how do I feel about that? How does it make me feel? And uh, to be completely honest, uh, as one should be when giving a sermon on humility, the, (laughs) the idea of being known for who you really are sounds beautiful at like first glance, On second glance, it actually sounds very terrifying because I don't want people to know me for who I really am because I know who I really am and who I really am might not be good enough, successful enough, smart enough, I mean, fill in the blank. So it sounds beautiful, but how many of us actually want people to know us for who we really are? We want people to know the kind of shined up version, the one where only the strengths are on display. In our defense, by our I mean probably just like my generation and younger, social media has not helped us in this endeavor of being known for who we really are. It hasn't done us any favors um, because it is such a trap and temptation to present yourself to the world in a, a way that only highlights strengths, only highlights or, let's be honest, exaggerates the beautiful parts of our life and downplays or erases anything that might look less than the person next to us. It fosters this sense of not being known for who we really are, but being known for someone we actually, we actually aren't, um, which is the definition of pride. In the face of this culture, and in the face of this really egocentric uh, culture we live in, uh, Lady Wisdom, in the book of Proverbs, invites us into a different way of living. 
Uh, last week, David talked about lady wisdom, uh, wisdom personified as a woman who stands on your street and calls to you. This is how Proverbs describes wisdom, as this woman who's calling out to you and inviting you in to a better way to live. And so in Proverbs, what Lady Wisdom is calling to you is this way of humility, not as a job, not as a task, but actually as something that will lead to your good, your life, your freedom. Again, I'm gonna quote C.S. Lewis. Uh, He says in Mere Christianity, to get near humility, even for a moment, is like a drink of cold water to a man in a desert. Because humility uh, means freedom from what other people think, right? Freedom to say things like, you know, I don't know. (laughs) I need help. Uh, I don't have it all together. I'm a work in progress. It's freedom to actually be who you are uh, without a show. Uh, It also frees us to celebrate the success of others freely and openly. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, a pastor and author who who actually passed away recently, uh, he said, there's nothing more relaxing than humility. And I love that. There's nothing more relaxing than humility. He goes on to say that when he practices humility, it actually allowed him to enjoy life more. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Um, I was thinking about it as I was preparing this sermon, because at first I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> what do you mean? Um, <laughs> uh, but he has this, this idea that, you know, when he's able to embrace humility, all of a sudden it's not about him. Even the things he enjoys for fun, and I have to be, again, honest, I'm a very competitive person, and I have this ability to take things that are supposed to be hobbies, um, and I just ruin them because I, I just... I really like being the best, um, and everything, I grew up with all brothers, and so I'm, it's just a competitive nature, and so I will take something literally that's just supposed to be relaxing, and I will turn it into, like, I'm going to destroy this, like, I'm going to just be, you know, they're going to write books about how well I did this hobby, you know, and so... So when he said this, I was like, oh, yeah, Um, he was saying humility actually allows him to enjoy the thing for its own sake, not for what it's giving me or how it makes me look, just literally enjoying that hobby, enjoying that thing, enjoying what someone else is doing, because it actually has nothing to do with you, and it's okay. Um, He says, I can start to enjoy things that are not about me. My work is not about me. My skating is not about me. My romance is not about me. My dating is not about me. I can actually enjoy things for what they are. They are not just for my resume. They are not just to look good on my college or job application. They are not just a way of filling up the emptiness. So uh, for the rest of our time together, uh, what I want to talk about is, is how do we cultivate this humility in our lives? What does it look like to grow in humility? And it's not really an easy thing to do uh, because we don't want to fall into the trap of it being a show, right? So how do we genuinely grow in humility? Um, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but I I know there's a quote out there from uh, Benjamin Franklin where he made the comment that of all the vices, humility is is the most difficult to stomp out. And he says, because even if he were to master his own pride, oh, sorry, pride, not humility, uh, pride is the hardest vice to stomp out because if he were to completely obliterate it, then he would just be proud of his own humility, Uh, which I thought was an interesting comment. Um, So how do we develop humility? How do we grow in humility? And I think it helps us to go back to our definition. So if humility is just being known for who you really are, then to develop humility, 
we need to develop a right view of ourselves, a right view of ourselves. And the clearer picture we have of who we really are, the more we're gonna be moving towards humility and away from pride. So, how do we view ourselves rightly? Um, well, that's obviously a vast topic, far, far beyond the scope of this short message. And there are specifics to you that are different from every other person on the face of the earth. You have your own gifts and talents. But there are some things that are true for each and every one of us that I think will help move us towards humility. And so, uh, for the rest of our time together, I'm going to be going over uh, five of those things with us. Uh, the first thing uh, might surprise you, not because you don't know it already, but uh, we are created in the image of God, known and loved by Him. We are created in the image of God, known and loved by Him. Uh, now, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, I know this is true, I'm a Christian, but uh, how is that supposed to be cultivating humility in me? Well, first of all, uh, what did we do to deserve any of those things? Nothing. So right away, we can take that off of our list of things to boast in. Uh, but more than that, I think as I was meditating on humility, it struck me that in order to be free to be who I really am and to be honest about who I really am, I first need to have a very strong sense of identity and who I am in the Lord. And I was thinking to myself of people that I admire uh, and I would think of as, wow, that's a humble person. That's someone I admire for their humility. And without fail, when I think of those people, they have a very strong, strong sense of identity. They know who they are in Christ. They know that God loves them. They know that God sees them. And this is really the foundation that gives us the courage to be vulnerable. It gives us the courage to be humble. Um, because the reality is that God knows you, and he knows who you really are. He doesn't buy any show that you put on. And so he, looking at you and all of your faults and all of your weaknesses, he loves you regardless of anything you could ever or may never accomplish, and that will never ever change. And when we have a deep revelation of who we are in Christ, all of a sudden we don't feel the need to exaggerate or boast in our uh, weaknesses or in our strengths because we have a confidence that comes from God's love for us. Um, and I think that uh, this is a good starting place for us because if we don't know, first of all, that we are loved by God, we're never going to, uh, <laughs> we're never gonna step out in, in honesty about who we are. And I think for myself, when I was thinking about areas that I'm most likely to brag about or boast about or fall into pride about, realistically, those are the areas that I'm actually most insecure about because otherwise I wouldn't feel the need to exaggerate. I wouldn't feel the need to brag. So it's really the, the part where I feel the most insecure that that's where the pride creeps in because I have to compensate for the areas that I feel like I'm lacking. And so when I think about having this sense of identity, it says, you know what, I can actually be open about the areas that I'm weak because God loves me at the end of the day. And so I don't need to care so much about how other people view me when I know how God views me. And so we start there. We are created in the image of God. We're known and loved by him. Uh, second truth about who we are, and this one is where the magic happens. I feel like for me, this is the most transformative uh, concept to wrap our minds around, and that is that everything that we have is a gift from God. Everything we have is a gift from God. 
Our talents, our finances, our relationships, the breath in our lungs, it's all from God. And unfortunately, if you're like me, um, we tend to create categories of the things that God has given us, which I think we would all admit there are things that God has given us, and then the things that we got for ourselves. And so the things that God has given us, we're very grateful for, and the things that we got for ourselves, we have this sense of entitlement, we deserve this thing because I got it with my own two hands. And this is actually something that God warns the nation of Israel about right before they head into the promised land. So you guys know before they entered the promised land, where were they? They were wandering around in the wilderness, in the desert, and everything they had was coming from where? Straight from heaven, like their daily bread, manna from heaven, the meat that they were eating from heaven, the water they were drinking from heaven, even their clothes, it says, like would never wear out. And if you lived in a, a situation like that, uh, there really isn't a whole lot of room to brag. I mean, you haven't accomplished much. Literally everything is such a clear, like, God is giving you this. But when they move into the promised land, God is foreseeing a problem they're going to fall into. And he predicts the future as he does, and he says, I know what's going to happen. You're going to get into the land, and the first thing you're going to do is you're going to start farming and raising crops and raising animals, and you're going to start to accumulate wealth by your own hand. And uh, listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 8. Again, he's predicting the future. He says, when you get into the land and when you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in and your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold multiply and everything else you have increases, be careful that your heart does not become proud and you forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt you may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. And so here in Deuteronomy, God is already predicting and says, look, uh, even if you get into the land and, and accumulate all of these things with the strength of your own hand, who gave you that strength? Who gave you those hands? I gave it all to you. And so no matter where you look, everything in our life is a gift from God. And so what humility says is humility says, okay, you know what, yes, I have these talents, I have this intelligence, I have these possessions, but it also it recognizes that without God I have nothing. Everything I have is because of his generosity. And when you recognize that, it actually gives you freedom not only to rejoice in what you have, but rejoice in what the people around you have. And that's what humility does, right? It doesn't just rejoice in what I have, but the people around me. This is the last quote I'm going to read to you from C.S. Lewis, but he just, he says things so well. Um, this is from the Screwtape Letters. He says, God wants to bring man to a state of mind in which he could design the best cathedral in the world and know it to be the best and rejoice in that fact without being any more or less glad at having done it than he would be if it had been done by another. God wants him in the end to be so free from any bias in his own favor that he can rejoice in his own talents as frankly and gratefully as in his neighbor's talents, or in a sunrise, an elephant, or a waterfall. 
because in the end, where's it all from? It's all from the Lord. And so there's this kind of beautiful, relaxing freedom that just says, yeah, wow, God gave me this and I rejoice that I'm able to do it. And then you look at your neighbor and you're like, wow, you're able to do that, that's amazing. I'm excited for you. And wow, look at that elephant, isn't that great? Um, it's all from the Lord and we're excited about all of it. And it sort of takes the pressure off of to be competitive or to compare. All right, third, um, we are the finite and limited creation of God. We are the finite, limited creation of God. Um, this is the reality. Our lives are short. Uh, we are not the center of the universe, although pride would tell you otherwise. Uh, we are probably not the most important person in the room. And the Bible tells us this often. Uh, James, which we studied uh, a while ago, James 4, compares our lives with mist or smoke or vapor. It's here for an instance and then it vanishes. Psalms 103, uh, 15 compares us with the eternal God and says the life of mortals is like grass. Very flattering. They flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. It's a very humbling thought. You know, in the face with our creator, in the face of the eternal God, our lives are small. Our lives are short. And for me, a great uh, r reminder, a good perspective shift is to just get out in nature. You know, there's nothing better to put yourself and your own life in perspective than uh, hiking in the mountains or swimming in the ocean or looking up at the night sky and just reminding yourself, you know what? I'm not the center of the universe. This isn't all about me. Um, David uh, wrote a song about this in the Bible. In Psalm 8, he describes what it feels like to go outside at night and look up at the night sky, at the stars and the moon, uh, in all of these things that God has created. And as he goes out and he looks up at the night sky and he meditates on it, the thought he thinks to himself is, um, what is mankind that you are mindful of us? What are human beings that you care for us? In other words, he looks up at the majesty of creation and he says, wow, how amazing that in this vast and beautiful world, like God thinks about me. You know, how small I am, how short my life is, and yet the eternal God has thoughts that are fixed on me. And that's a humbling thought. It's a humbling thought to think, wow, like in the grand scheme of things, I'm nothing. And yet to the Lord, I'm so valuable. Uh, so for me, you know, a good perspective shift is always just to get out in creation. It kind of puts us in our right, a right place. A fourth, we are all uh, equally fallen and in need of a savior. Uh, this is a great remedy to pride. I have found um, there's, a, there's a famous hymn that says, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. You guys have probably heard that line. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I am not any more or less in need of a savior than the person next to me. And I think if I find myself getting caught up in my own importance and my own pride and my own arrogance, um, one remedy of that is to meditate on my own sin and the mercy that God has shown me. It's another perspective shift that we have. Uh, and then lastly, this is where we're gonna sort of land the plane this morning. Number five is we can only find true wisdom in God 
and God alone. And this is, uh, this is where we're going to end today. And this is why I believe Proverbs especially spend so much time on humility. Proverbs is going to spend a lot of time talking about the virtue of humility. And the reason for that is because uh, humility recognizes that if I want wisdom, if I want true wisdom, I am not going to find it in myself. It's not where I'm going to find it. It's not going to be found there. A posture of humility comes to the Lord and specifically comes to Scripture and says, if I want wisdom, specifically the kind of wisdom that leads to life, who has it? The Lord has it. And I'm going to seek for it there. Another way of saying this is humility knows who it is that is speaking through the pages of Scripture. Uh, when I was in college, I was invited to this uh, small dinner party for a visiting lecturer. And I was, the only reason I was invited is because of part of a specific class that kind of corresponded with this speaker. And so I got an invitation to this dinner, and I didn't know who the speaker was that was visiting. And I didn't do any research on him. I didn't look him up before this dinner. And in the spirit of humility and honesty, I will tell you genuinely the only reason I went to that dinner was because there would be free food. And so I went, and I went with no knowledge of who this, you know, this guest lecturer would be. And when I came, I met him and his wife, and during the dinner, they actually sat me like right next to them, so, you know, right next to the speaker. And uh, so throughout this dinner, uh, some of you actually in this room know this, I'm not great at small talk. I'm, I'm a little bit awkward with small talk. But for, throughout the course of this dinner, I asked this gentleman the most trivial and meaningless questions he'd probably ever been asked in his life. Uh, because I didn't know who he was, and I didn't know what to ask him, and so I said things like, how was your flight? Tell me about it. <laughs> How do you like Florida, which is where I went to school? I mean, just random stuff. It was a nice dinner. It was good food. I learned absolutely nothing from him, absolutely nothing, um, <laughs> because I asked nothing of consequence. Um, <laughs> uh, the speaker's name, uh, his name is Alvin Plantinga. You might know who he is. If you don't, no worries. I didn't either. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, I have been hearing his name ever since. Um, he has been quoted in all of my lectures, in all of my textbooks. Um, people quote him with reverence. Um, for the sake of this illustration, I did a quick Google of his name, and what came up uh, humiliated me even more. Uh, he is described as uh, one of the most important and influential philosophers of the 20th and early 21st centuries. Like a, a living legend. And I just... I'm like, I can't even brag that I had dinner with him because it did me no good. Like, I, I did me no good. I was just, I don't even, I, I actually do remember what I was talking about now in vivid detail. Um, nothing important. Um, and, uh, and the reason I totally missed out on this opportunity that I know there are some uh, philosophy nerds who would be uh, really upset by this story and would have really loved to take my place is that I didn't know who I was speaking to. Uh, just so you guys know, just to make this even worse, uh, this guy is famous for his writings on the problem of evil. He's a Christian philosopher. And so uh, you guys might be familiar with the question, how can a good God allow suffering? Well, this guy knows the answer to that question. And if I had asked him, I could be telling you today about the, the problem of evil and I would solve it for you. But I didn't ask him that because I didn't know that was his specialty. Um, but my problem was I didn't know who I was speaking with. 
And so many times when we approach scripture, we lose sight of who it is that is speaking to us through these pages. I grew up in a Christian home. I had Bibles on every table. I had these words spoken over my life since I was literally an infant. And at a certain point, you just start to tune it out. The voice becomes so familiar, it becomes like the voice of your parent. That's just, I've heard it already. And it dulls the, the truth, which is that the God of the universe is speaking to you through these pages. And the problem with that is when you begin to tune it out, you stop listening. Or worse yet, you can join the company of Adam and Eve and think you know better than these words. Uh, I think it was about a month ago that Riz uh, preached on the story of the woman at the well, one of my favorite stories. And there's a line from that story that really uh, jumped out at me uh, that I want to uh, read to you. Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman, and she has no idea who he is at all. And Jesus kind of calls her out on this. In uh, John 4, verse 10, Jesus is speaking to the woman, and he says to her, if you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So Jesus says, oh, you don't know who I am. If you knew who you were speaking to, you would ask me for living water, a water that brings life, eternal life. And so as I uh, invite the worship team up, I wanna end with this reminder, not just for Proverbs, but really for any time we approach the word of God, we want to approach it with the knowledge that we are being spoken to by God himself. And the words here have the power to transform our lives. And let's be real, there is a lot of passages in the Bible that when we read it, we think to ourselves, that can't be right. That can't be true. I think I, I might know better than that. Um, for example, uh, Jesus has some pretty controversial things. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Um, he says, if anyone would be first, he must be last. I mean, when you read the Bible, there's going to be things that go against what you would say is common sense. And in those moments, I would encourage us to embrace humility and say, you know what? God is speaking to me through this text. Maybe he knows something I don't. And so as we continue our series in Proverbs over this summer, and we hear about different topics about how to live, these invitations to different ways of living, I would encourage myself and all of us to, uh, to really listen um, to Lady Wisdom, who's calling us, um, and recognize who it is that's speaking to us through these texts, who it is that offers us life. Um, as we transition into uh, worship, I just want to invite you uh, to, yeah, just position yourself before the Lord and ask him how he sees you. Um, ask him who you really are. Uh, we have communion here. Uh, that you're free to take at any time. And up here we have carpets if you want to come and sit or kneel. If you would, just join me in prayer as we transition to worship. Lord, we ask that you would uh, grow us in humility, that as we, as we learn more about who we are and who you are, that the pride in our hearts would, would die <laughs> and that humility would, would grow. Uh, Lord, I pray for myself and for all of us here that we would be more and more free from the pressure to look or sound or be better than we actually are, uh, that we would embrace the freedom and the peace that comes with humility, this different way of living that's so countercultural. 
that you would help us walk in that freedom, that we would rest in your wisdom, rest in our own inability, rest in your goodness. Pray these things in your name, amen.